Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, with my man, Jason Spears. Before we get into the Week 5 game recap, guys, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, Google Play, all your favorite podcasting platforms. Leave a like, drop a comment, and turn on the notification bell so you get a notification every time we drop a podcast. 32 23 Colts fall in week five to the Cleveland Browns. The game kind of went exactly the way we expected it to go without Anthony Costanzo. Miles Garrett only had one sack, but he wrecked this game with pressure getting into the backfield, hitting Rivers, sacking him the one time, and he put his mark on this game. Raven Clark was awful. I thought Reich did an awful job scheming against Miles Garrett. You need to know where he is at all times, you need to help Braden Smith or Raven Clark, whatever side he's on, you need to help him out. And it was just an ugly, ugly game from a protection standpoint. The first drive, great. And this is something that's really frustrating about this Colts offense and about the way Frank Reich is calling these games. When you look at this Colts offense now, through five weeks, this is a theme with the fast start and then field goals the rest of the way. Week one, we score a touchdown on our opening drive, get ball first, go right down the field, one touchdown the rest of the game, no touchdowns in the second half. Week three, touchdown on the opening drive, one touchdown the rest of the game offensively. Week four, touchdown on the opening drive, no touchdowns the rest of the game. Yesterday, week five, touchdown the opening drive, no touchdowns the rest of the game offensively. We did have the Rodgers kick six, kick return touchdown. It's extremely frustrating that... We have a quick pass rhythmic offense to start the game and then Reich seemingly abandons the game plan and then puts the ball in Rivers' hands and puts Rivers in situations. Not that Rivers is guilt-free in this scenario, but you're putting a weak-armed quarterback with no mobility in positions to fail. When you put too much on his plate, when you have a billion boundary throws, we are destined to to fail by coaching to his weaknesses and not coaching to his strengths. Great coaches coach to the strengths of their players. And yes, I understand Frank Reich has his hands tied. He goes from Andrew Luck in year one to Jacoby Brissett in year two to Phillip Rivers in year three and a 38-year-old Phillip Rivers in year three. I understand that three quarterbacks in three years and three different quarterbacks with different styles in three years is difficult. It's difficult. There's no doubt about it. But you get a quarterback this year that fits last year's offense and abandoning a lot of the core principles of last year's offense and abandoning the quick rhythmic passes that we see on the first drive and work on the first drive is a head scratcher to me. As a great coach and a great offensive mind, you need to be able to play to the strengths of the cards you're dealt. We're dealt a card of Phillip Rivers who has a weak arm, who is not mobile, but could still contribute and could still get the job done, but you need to cater to his strengths. You can't cater to his weaknesses, otherwise you're putting him in a position to fail, and that's not what good and great coaches do. They put their players in positions to exercise their strengths and succeed. And the same thing with the personnel grouping, the same thing with Naheem Hines. Why are we running all these dive plays week after week with Naheem Hines? That's not his strength. You want to get him... To the corner, you want to get him outside. You want to get him in space. That's where Naheem Hines is at his best. Yesterday, Moali Cox played the third most snaps 
by a tight end on this roster. Why is Jack Doyle, who I love, multi-time pro bowler, great tight end, great Colt, has superseded anybody's expectations as an undrafted free agent in 2013. Love Jack Doyle. Trey Burton, I like the addition of Burton this offseason. Why are they playing more snaps than Moali Cox? Cox is clearly the best tight end on this roster. The best all-around. I think he's the best blocker right now. I think he's the best pass catcher. I think he's just the best all-around tight end. Why is he playing 21 snaps when Doyle and Burton are each on the field more than him? That's got to change. You're not putting your players in the best positions to succeed, and that's where Frank Reich is failing right now as a head coach and a play caller for this offense. Yeah, man, it's frustrating, and I'm going to place the majority of the blame, and this is going to shock a lot of people, but I'm going to place the majority of the blame at the feet of our head coach. He runs our offense, and like you said, Luke, and and you pointed this out, and it's a great point, we are so efficient on first drives of games, and it's because they're scripted. And the thing is, he's so creative. That That play to Taylor on the goal line was a beautifully designed play, an absolutely gorgeous play worked perfectly and it was such a rhythmic drive a great rhythm down the field mix and pass and run and in the rest of the game it was just a disaster I mean it was really just a disaster and the frustrating thing for me as someone that really watches and critiques the offense I mean the entire team but specifically here the offense is last year when I watched our offense it wasn't a lack of open players. It was a lack of quarterback being able to get the ball to them. And in, in that offense, we ran seam patterns to our tight ends. We went, ran crossing routes to our wide receivers, drag routes, underneath routes, all kinds of different middle-of-the-field intermediate passes that we just aren't running with rivers, and it doesn't make any sense. And the frustrating thing is we're throwing majority, but the majority of the passes that we're throwing with Rivers are boundary throws, which doesn't even help him. It's, 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 it's playing into a weakness. Rivers <laughs> has a weak arm. So you're yep. throwing it to the boundary, and it's, it, you're not putting your players in the best position to win. The best position for Phillip Rivers is not making boundary out route throws 20 yards down the field. It's throwing it in the middle of the field and letting playmakers make plays. And I know we don't have Paris Campbell, but that's not an excuse not to, you know, line T.Y. up and, and run a drag route with him and let him, you know, catch the ball and do something with it in space or line Naheem Hines out wide and do the same thing with him. We're not doing anything, none of those things creatively, to get playmakers the ball. And none of that is Phillip Rivers' fault. It's Frank Reich's. Now, am I saying Phillip Rivers doesn't have to shoulder the blame for piss-poor decisions that he makes? Absolutely not. He does. A lot of these bad decisions are on Phillip Rivers. But also, Frank Reich is not putting Phillip Rivers in the best place, in the best situation to succeed. And that's the biggest issue for me right now with this team is there's a lot of drawbacks to Phillip Rivers. But one of the good things about him is intermediate passing, accuracy, and getting rid of the ball. And right now it seems like Frank Wright thinks he has a strong-arm quarterback that you know, you know, can move around in the pocket and throw the ball 60 yards down the field. And that is not this offense. So do I sound frustrated? Yes, it's because I am. I expected more out of Frank Wright, and I expected more out of this offense. 
And damn it, they got to get it together, man, because if they don't, the second half of this season could become a nightmare real fast. I 100% agree, Jason. And you see a lot of Colt fans bitching and moaning about Phillip Rivers. This is the difference in my mind between Rivers and Wright. Rivers is exactly what we see. He is who he is. We know exactly what he is at this point. He doesn't have a strong arm. He's not mobile. He is who he is. He's exactly what I think we signed up for. He's what we saw last year in LA. The difference is we thought we had the protection. We thought we had the run game. We thought we had the play caller to minimize the mistakes, minimize the weaknesses, and highlight the strength. If you put Phillip Rivers right now, this current watered-down version of Phillip Rivers on the 2019 Colts, I think the offense is much, much, much more efficient than it was last year with Jacoby Brissett. Right now, last year's offense looks more efficient than this year's offense because last year's offense had a top-five rushing attack, and right now, at least we went into yesterday, I'm not sure where we are now, but we went into yesterday 32nd in yards per carry. An offense last year that lost Marlon Mack, because it's not all about Marlon Mack. We clearly miss Marlon Mack. But last year, Marlon Mack goes down. Jonathan Williams, a practice squad running back who can't even find a homer now. He was on the Lions practice squad. I think they released him. He ran for over 100 yards on a Sunday. Then that following Thursday on three, four days rest, ran for another 100 yards, had 220 yards rushing in two games in five days and a touchdown. Now we draft this great college running back in Jonathan Taylor and it seems like we have taken a massive step and statistically we've taken a massive step backwards in terms of the run game and then you look at the offensive line 100% healthy last year we don't miss a start they go 22 consecutive games without missing a start incredible incredible streak now Anthony Costanzo goes down in this game and that's something we got on ballot about all offseason you have to have a replacement for Anthony Costanzo, God forbid he were to go down. We hated this left tackle depth. We hated LaRaven Clark being the first line of defense if Costanzo were to go down. And then, of course, Costanzo goes down against Miles Garrett, one of the best edge rushers, if not the best edge rusher, right now in the National Football League. So when we get on Reich instead of Rivers, it's because this is who Rivers is. And that's the main difference. Reich is better than this. That's why we're getting on Reich, but we know he's better than this. You can't really get on Rivers because he is who he is. We signed up for the good and the bad on a one-year deal, and people also seem to forget that. I feel like Colt fans think quarterbacks just fall out of the sky because we went from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck. They just expect the next generational talent to just fall into our laps. When Luck retired the way he did, it's going to be tough to find your footing at the quarterback position. It's not just going to happen, especially when you win seven games last year. It's not like we were drafting in the top five and we had a shot at Tua or Herbert or first overall with Burrow. We didn't have a shot at any of those guys. People think that, oh, we could have just got... No, no, no. It's not easy to just move up from 13 all the way up to three to grab a Tua or a Herbert doesn't work like that. So we have our issues at the quarterback position, no doubt about it. But Rivers is who he is, and we need to do a better job putting him in positions to succeed. And Reich is more than capable of it, and that's what's so frustrating. He is the guy. We know Reich is capable of it, and that's why we have to hold him to a higher standard, and he has to get it done. That's the And I see people talking about Pagano 
on Twitter, the difference between Pagano and Reich is Pagano was incapable of doing it defensively or whatever. He was incapable of coaching. We know Reich is better than this, and that's why I hold him to a higher standard. I honestly don't hold Phillip Rivers to a higher standard because I think we are getting exactly who and what Phillip Rivers is. Frank Reich has to do better with the run game, with protections, chipping and blocking against Miles Garrett when you have LaRaven Clark out there on an island. We have to be better offensively, and I think it starts with the head coach, who I know is better than what we're currently witnessing from him. I know he's better than this. Yeah, I totally agree, man. It's frustrating. When Mo Cox is getting one target and, and Jack Doyle's not getting – I mean, Jack Doyle's invisible in this offense, and that I, I thought he would be a huge part of what we did this year. I, I just don't get it. And Frank Reich's got to look in the mirror and figure out, what am I doing? What, what is my goal? Going into this game, okay, the, the, the Cleveland secondary is injured and it's not very good. So let's take advantage of intermediate routes, get the ball in space for our playmakers to attack their secondary. We didn't do that at all. I mean, he's not used, in my opinion, he's not using Hines correctly at all. Hines should not ever be running, you know, dive plays between the, like in the A gap. I, th- that's not his game. His game is getting out in space, screens, you know, getting him the ball and getting him outside the numbers so he can do things. He's not, we're not seeing that. You know, he's not, we're not really throwing it to Taylor out of the backfield. We're, I mean, T.Y. has really been the only guy. T.Y. was really the only guy that had a good game today. Like, he's not throwing the Pascal. We're not, we're, I mean, Pascal's a big physical guy. We could use him over the middle. We don't do that. So there's so many things. And, and that's just the play calling. I thought he was, I thought the, the game plan today as far as scheming up the block, and you had all week, you knew that Raven Clark was going to have to block Miles Garrett, and I hated the plan, whatever it was, because I didn't see a lot of tight end help. I saw a lot of one-on-one. The backs were running. They weren't even chipping him. They were just running right by him. So I didn't like anything about today's game as far as the offense went other than the first drive. As far as everything else went, I thought it was terrible. Yep. And then coming into the game, Jason, the reason why I picked against the Colts, for the first time this year I picked against the Colts, was because of the left tackle depth. Because we didn't have anything behind Anthony Costanza. We lose Joe Hague this offseason. We didn't have an answer at the backup tackle spot. And we were holding our breath that we didn't have to ever see LaRaven Clark start a game and of course we have to see him start a game against Miles Garrett one of the best defensive ends in the National Football League so to all the people out there to all the people listening who say oh you guys never criticize Ballard you suck off Ballard he could do no wrong in your eyes well go back to March in free agency when we said we need to address the backup tackle situation if you can't bring back Joe Haig fine but you have to find a backup tackle before the draft we said it during the draft we said it after the draft we said it we said it time and time again you cannot go into the season with LaRaven Clark as your backup tackle and going into this game that was the big concern you have to have Miles Garrett circled on every play and not only do we go into the game with LaRaven Clark starting at left tackle. We didn't do nearly enough to help him. So kind of like Rivers. Rivers has his inabilities. He has a weak arm. He can't run. But you need to put him in positions to succeed. LaRaven Clark got overpowered. He got blown by. He was awful. 
But you have to expect that. You can't expect him to go out there and play like Costanzo. You just can't expect that. So you need to put him in positions to succeed, which the Colts failed to do with tight end help and chipping from the running backs. And that was a disaster. And that was one of the really big issues in this game. A lot of Phillip Rivers' mistakes came from pressure, especially from that left side. And Braden Smith didn't have a great game either by any stretch of the imagination, but it all starts with the left tackle. You could help out Braden Smith more if you have Anthony Costanzo on the left side. So it all goes together. The offensive line is on a rope. And when you're missing one of those links, the entire line is just different. And for the first time in 22 games, unfortunately, we had to see this Colts team play without one of the starting five. And it happened to be at the most important position with the worst depth on that line at the left tackle spot in a game where we go up against Miles Garrett. And that was the big fear coming into the game. And the fear lived up to the expectations, the negative expectations we had coming into the game. Yeah, and, and I was really surprised. I thought we would see more two tight end sets. I didn't see a lot of that. I, I thought we would see more of an of an attack of their secondary intermediately, and and we just didn't do it. And, I, I again, I go back to we had a week to prepare. Like, I felt like it's almost like he didn't know that Costanzo was going to play the way he coached this game. I mean, every time I looked up, 62 was one-on-one. With Garrett, with 95. Like, I, it made no sense. And then you throw in the fact that Olivier Vernon, who nobody really talks about, but had eight friggin' pressures in the Cowboys game and really pressured Rivers from the other side, you know, he had a big impact on this game, too. Our tackles really got dominated. I mean, at the end of the day, that's the, the difference in this game was their, their, their defensive ends, Vernon and, and Garrett, wrecked the game for us. And our, and our game plan played right into their hands. And that, again, squarely on Frank Reich because he had a week to scheme this up and he didn't do it. And that is very, it's deeply concerning to me that we're in year three and he seems to be going backwards. Yeah. And this is also the concern, Jason rivers is on a one-year contract. So love him, hate him, no matter what he's done after this year, he's off the books, 25 million is a lot of money, but that's not our money. It's Ursa's money. He's a billionaire. He was willing to spend it. He was willing to cut that check. He does no matter what happens this season. He's off the books, and Jacoby's off the books after this. So, yeah, we have a lot of money wrapped up into those two guys, but they're both off the books after this year. So there's no long-term repercussions. With Reich, the concern is we want this guy to be the coach of the future. We want this guy to be the guy who, when we have the right quarterback in place, to be able to bring us to the promised land. Is Reich the coach to win a Super Bowl when we get the right quarterback in here. I cut him slack. Three quarterbacks in three years, the sudden retirement of Andrew Luck. Those are all valid points, but it's concerning to see him coaching to the weakness of not only the quarterback, but the replacement left tackle, Naheem Hines, Moali Cox. I mean, you go down the line, there's a lot of players that we're not getting the most out of because of the play calling and the personnel groupings offensively. And it's not just a one-week overreaction by us. This is a week-in and week-out problem with this team because we've seen it now for five weeks. The sample size is growing and growing and growing. And when you have a large sample size, then that's just the norm. And this is becoming the norm because four out of five weeks, we score the opening touchdown and we don't score pretty much for the rest of the game. We have eight offensive touchdowns in five games and four of them have come on the opening drives. 
That's bad. Yeah, and it's valid. It's 100% valid. I'm not ready to say he's on the hot seat. I'm not no, crazy. No, no. Like, I mean, with the situation that we're in, we're going to be in – I mean, we're, let's be honest. It's going to be four quarterbacks in four years. I think the pressure is really going to be on Chris Ballard in the offseason to find the right guy yep. because Phillip Rivers is only going to be here for a year. So we've got to get that figured out. The NFL begins and ends with the quarterback position. And right now, in my opinion, we have the fourth best quarterback in our division. That's just the way I feel. So we have to be able what, – what Reich has to be able to do is to scheme up this offense to, to get to Phillip Rivers' strengths. His strengths are he can read defenses as good as anyone. He can get rid of the ball when they're open receivers quick. But you have to scheme receivers open. There's not enough time with this offensive line as it's set up now without AC, and I don't think he's going to be back for at least until at least after the bye at minimum. You're going to have to scheme this up to get the ball to playmakers in space, and it can't be boundary 20-yard throws. That's asking for interceptions. It's like when we had Scott Tolzien and we tried to run the offense that Andrew Luck ran. You can't run it. And he doesn't, like, this is, Philip Rivers can't make boundary throws all the time. No. You can throw one once in a while. But, but Jason, what's so were... frustrating is last year's Jacoby offense was tailor-made for Philip Rivers. I know that the exactly. run game isn't what it was last year. I know we don't have Marla Mack, but the route tree from last year, like the route concepts from last year, fit Philip Rivers perfectly and that's why we're we're driving ourselves nuts here, wondering where they went after the first drive. Of course, they're there the first drive, and then they disappear after that. Yeah, you said. I mean, you said it better than me. I was struggling to to get the right thing out there. But yeah, that's what that's what I meant, and that's the frustration. I don't understand it because coming into this season, I was pumped because I was like, okay, Philip Rivers, he can't throw. You know, he doesn't have a great arm, but this offense, you don't need a great arm. You just need to be accurate yep. and get the ball out quick. And that's why I was so fired up. And I'm so let down through the first five weeks because we have absolutely not played to his strengths. And he doesn't have a lot of them, but he does have some, and we haven't played to them. And that's led to all kinds of issues with turnovers and not getting, you know, not scoring touchdowns in the red zone. And again, Luke, I mentioned this earlier, man, the second half of our schedule is a gauntlet. He's like, Reich has to figure this out, or we're looking at a team that might not make the playoffs. That's how bad this offense has been. It's got to be better. Nine points in the second half against this defense that we just played, who aside from Miles Garrett isn't that great, is not good enough. Yep, and before we flip over to the defense, last week we scored our opening drive and we settled for field goals the rest of the way, but we were content with it. If you go back to our keys to the game last week against the Bears and this week against the Browns, last week we said, Field goals in the red zone will get it done. So just don't turn over the football, get into the red zone, and if you settle for field goals, that will be the DNA of that game. That game will be a game where points are at a premium. So if you drive the ball and you stall and you kick a field goal, that will be okay. The identity of that game will be low-scoring defense because the Colts and Bears are very similar teams right now, and we just played that style better than them. We outbared the Bears. When you go up against the Browns, it's going to be a different game. They have a very talented offense. They have playmakers all over the field. They're going to get theirs. And they got theirs yesterday in the first half. And we knew offensively yesterday, that's why we're holding the offense to such. Because if you think about it, Jason, last week's offense and this week's offense, 
minus the turnovers is essentially the exact same thing. And it's been the same thing, and it's been a theme, and it's been a negative theme. But against the Bears, it was acceptable because that was the identity of that game. In this game, you could get on the defense for giving up 20 points in the first half, but they give up 23 points in the game. They got it together in the second half. There was adjustments being made defensively. Where were the adjustments offensively? And how many weeks in a row can you rely on the defense to carry the offense? Eventually, the offense needs to do their job as well. Last week, their job was easy. It was kicking field goals. This week, we needed them to score a couple touchdowns and not turn over the football, and they failed in both areas. They failed in all three keys to the game. They weren't able to contain Miles Garrett. They weren't able to score touchdowns after the first drive, which it seems to be an automatic drive for this offense, and the only issues are after the first drive scoring touchdowns, and they turned the ball over twice. Phillip Rivers turned the ball over twice, plus there was a safety, which should count as a turnover. For some reason, it doesn't statistically, but we turned the ball over, in my opinion, three times with the safety and the two interceptions, and that's inexcusable. The defense was not great to start the game, even though I thought that Grover Stewart stripped that ball out of Kareem Hunt on the first play, and we'll get to that. But the defense, were they perfect today? No. Did they make mistakes today? Yes. Do you also have to tip your cap to a talented Cleveland Browns offense who has now scored 30-plus points in four consecutive games? 1,000% yes. So you got to tip your cap to the Browns, who came into this game as a high-flying offense. We give up 20 points in the first half, but defensively, we only gave up three points in the second half. The defense did their job in the second half. They gave up three points, and they had two takeaways. That was enough. They did enough for this offense to find a way to win the game and put the ball in the end zone in the second half, and the offense was incapable of doing it. So we can't hold teams to 11 points, 7 points, 11 points every week. Eventually, the defense is going to give up points to hot offenses, as we saw yesterday in the first half. But credit Eberflus and credit this defense for getting their act together in the second half and making plays. Forcing two interceptions, putting pressure on Mayfield, getting the ball back into the hands of Phillip Rivers and this offense, and the offense failed the defense. And I know we've beaten it to death, but you really can't say it enough because that is what we are watching on a week-in, week-out basis. You're not going to shut teams out, and you're not going to shut them down and hold them to 7 points and 11 points each and every week. Eventually, teams are going to move the ball and score touchdowns on you. This is still a really good defense, a really good and really well-coached defensive team. And we saw it in the second half yesterday, but the Browns got off to a hot start. But before their hot start on that touchdown drive, and I think the game is probably different. I don't know how much different, but it's probably different if you get a turnover on that first play because that first play from scrimmage, in my opinion, that's a fumble. And credit Reich for getting that challenge flag out and the replay guys for calling it down to him. I know it's early in the game, first play from scrimmage, but I love that challenge. The ball, in my opinion, was out. And credit to Grover Stewart for playing through the whistle, playing whistle to whistle. Forward progress was not stopped. Heads up play, stripping the ball. And that's a huge issue I have with the NFL replay system. The NFL replay system is flawed. They are watching a game in full speed. They are guessing a lot of times at outcomes of plays. And then you go to this state-of-the-art high-tech replay, you rewatch it in slow motion for over five minutes, and then you don't have a 100% clear-cut, indisputable evidence to overturn the naked eye guess on the field. So now a team loses a timeout. You waste five minutes of our time, maybe seven minutes. It was a long replay. 
to not change anything on the field. By saying the ruling on the field stands, you are essentially saying we guessed in full speed and after rewatching a replay in slow motion for over five minutes, we aren't 100% sure the guess was wrong, so now we're going to take a timeout away from you. Reich then later in the game, later in the first half, with eight minutes to go in the second quarter, challenges a pass to Odell Beckham Jr. Great catch by OBJ. I thought the defense, the coverage was okay from Wilson, but he got there, and that's when Julian Blackman was out of the game. I thought that challenge was awful. I didn't see anything to overturn that. I thought that OBJ got his hand under it and kind of cradled the ball in as he went to the ground. So I thought that was a dumb challenge. A, because you already lost your first challenge, so you only had one for the rest of the game. There was eight minutes to go in the third quarter. It wasn't a situation where the ball would have been going the other way. It wouldn't have brought up a fourth down. So I thought that was a bad challenge for the time of the game, for the situation of the play, for what the play meant to the game at the time. And then it was your third timeout. You lost your first timeout, then Rivers had the play clock expiring early in the game for the second timeout. So then we lose all three timeouts for the first half of the game with eight minutes to go in the second quarter. So I thought that was a huge mistake by Reich challenging that one, and that's not on Reich as much as it is on the replay guys upstairs. I thought it was bad execution all around by the Colts replay team. So that was in the first half, but just defensively, Jason, the way this team played defensively, first half, not great. We rushed four pretty much every down, passing downs, third and eight, third and ten. Thought that was bad, but we got it together in the second half. I thought the defense played really well in the second half. I thought Okariki, even though he gave up a couple receptions in the first half, I thought the defense was good on those receptions he gave up. You got to tip your cap to Cleveland because they made a couple. They made three miraculous catches, including that Odell catch I just talked about in the first half of this game. I thought Blackman played well again. I thought Walker played well. We didn't get pressure in the first half, but I didn't blame the guys as much you're going up against a really good offensive line unit and we were rushing for the entire time when we started to blitz a little bit in the second half that changed and the only issue I had with this defense in the second half of this game was that third and eight at the end you know the run is coming I would have loved to have seen them stop the run there and get the ball back into our offense's hands down one possession and I tweeted out after we gave up that third and eight run for 28 yards first down moving the change for Cleveland and pretty much sealing the deal I tweeted out, come on, defense. Like You have to know that's coming. You know the run's coming there. You have to give the offense a chance. And everybody jumped into my mentions saying, what are you talking about? The defense has given them plenty of chances. I know that. I know the defense has given the offense a million chances, and the offense hasn't really given the defense any chances this year. I know that the defense has picked the offense up way more than the offense has picked the defense up. But the point is, this is a defense-first team. The game is on the line there. If you put the ball back in the offense's hands, I don't have any confidence that they're going to do anything with it. But when you're defense-first and you look at the 2000 Ravens and the 2013 Seahawks and the 85 Bears, defensive-first teams, not to say that our defense is on their levels yet, but defensive-first teams get the ball back into their offense's hands. Despite what the offense does with it, they get the job done on a third and eight where you know the run is coming. And we've done such a great job. And, and in this game, Jason, we did such a great job against the run. The Browns came in by far the best rushing attack in the National Football League, and we shut it down for a majority of this game. Really, the only play that hurt us was the first play of that drive on first and 10, and then the third and eight we forced. And that was 
the seal the deal run. But all in all, you cannot put this game on the defense. They got off to a slow start, but they hold them to three points in the second half, and they forced two turnovers with two picks from the linebackers who did a great job with the absence of Darius Leonard. Unlike the injury on the offensive side of the ball to Anthony Costanzo, where LaRaven Clark was awful, Oak Ricky and Walker stepped up big time without Darius Leonard. I thought they had great games for the most part. I want to give credit to the Browns offense in the first half mostly because I thought they played about as well as they could play, especially Baker, because, I mean, listen, they, they had three or four catches that nobody makes. I mean, and they made them all in the first – they caught everything in the first half. They took advantage of everything that we did wrong. Uh, if you look at, at the drop that Rhodes had, that was huge. That led to a touchdown. We, we should have had a pick there. was thrown directly to him, and he dropped it. Um, you got to make that play. That's on Rhodes. He has to make that play. Then as soon as Blackman goes out, they attack, uh, they attack Tavon Wilson, who's not good. And I said when we, when we signed him, he's not a good free safety. He's a better strong safety. I was a little confused to why we didn't go to George Odom there. He's a much better option at free safety than Tavon Wilson is. Tavon Wilson is much better closer to the line of scrimmage. But kudos to the Browns. As soon as Julian Blackman went out, they attacked 31. And they got a touchdown. They beat 31 in the end zone. And, and, I mean, they took advantage of our weaknesses. And that's what good coaches do. When, when our, one of our best players goes out of the game, they attack his replacement immediately. Um, so I thought the defense, everybody was over. I thought a lot of people were overreacting on Twitter. I mean, they didn't play great, but I thought the Browns played out of their mind. And we, we did the one thing I will say is we didn't get a lot of pressure, and that was a big issue. But Flus adjusted at halftime, and we did great in the second half. We, we shut them down. The defense, in my opinion, 23 points, that's, that's good enough to win, man. The Browns are a really talented offense with talented players all over the field. They have two or three really good tight ends, two great receivers. They got Kareem Hunt. We shut down Kareem Hunt in the run game. He did have a catch in – you know, I think that was actually on Tavon Wilson uh, in the back of the end zone uh, where Mayfield made a nice play in the first half. But in the second half, I mean, I just thought we flew around. Blackman came back in the game, made a couple of great plays, one-on-one -on -one tackles that not a lot of guys could make. I thought our defense played faster, got to the quarterback, pressured Mayfield, hit him, let him know we were there. I thought the defense was fine in the second half. And overall, if you're looking at the grand scheme of the game, they played well enough to win, in my opinion. The bottom line was the nine points the offense gave Cleveland was the difference in this game, and you just can't do it. You just cannot spot another team nine points in this league, especially a good team like Cleveland, who is 4-1 and one now and uh, you know has won four in a row with a great offense. You cannot give them nine points. We did. That's not the defense's fault. They played their heart out in the second half. I thought Okariki was unbelievable. I thought they really, really came up big. I thought Floos did a hell of a job adjusting to what they were doing and pressuring and bringing different looks in the second half. So I want to give kudos to the defense. I thought they stepped up. I mean, look at Cleveland's running game. They, I think they had coming in this game, they had like 550 yards rushing or something like that, which was, I think, damn near 175 better than anyone else. We, we shut the running game down aside from the one play at the end, which I know everybody was frustrated about. And, of course, we wish we would have made that play. But to me, the difference in the game, what you, you can't boil it down to one play. Do I wish we would have made that play? Of course. But the, the bottom line is we had plenty of other opportunities in this game to, to, to make plays offensively. 
and we scored nine points. We didn't get any touchdowns in the red zone after the initial drive, and that was the difference in the game, not, not one run at the end of the game. I, I don't put that on the defense. It was a bad play and a good play by Cleveland, but for me the bottom line was the offense just was not good enough in this game. Yep, and then you look at special teams. There were two game-changing plays on special teams. All in all, the Colts special teams in this game were fantastic. You have Rodrigo Blankenship going on the road back-to-back. Chicago, Cleveland going 7-for-7 on field goal attempts. Not easy as a rookie on the road. I know there's no fans, but still, to go on the road as a rookie and to go 7-for-7 when the offense can't score touchdowns is huge because these possessions at least were leaving with points, and that's thanks to the rookie. Because you go back to last year, this offense last year with Venetari kicking, forget about it. There'd be so many empty possessions where we move the ball, we move the ball, we move the ball, we stall, we kick a field goal, and Venetari shanks it. So the rookie's been really solid for the Colts, hasn't missed since the Jets game. I think he's kicking 85% on the year, and he has the most made field goals in the NFL. So we haven't asked him to kick from 50-plus or do anything crazy yet, but he's been really solid in the role he's had. And then that kick six got the Colts right back in the game on the kick return touchdown by the rookie out of UMass, Isaiah Rogers. So a couple rookies making plays on special teams. You go back to last week, Jordan Glasgow blocking the punt against the Bears or tipping the punt against the Bears. So rookies have been making an impact on special teams. That Isaiah Rogers kick return touchdown got the Colts right back into the game and they made it a game in the second half because after Rivers throws the pick six, we're down 27-10 with 27 minutes left in the game. Rodgers, kick return touchdown. Then the defense gets a pick at the 50-yard line. Okariki picks off Mayfield at the 50-yard line. The offense drives 29 yards, and Rodrigo Blankenship kicks a field goal to make it 27-20. So we go from 27-10 to 27-20 with 29 yards of total offense, which just goes to show how incompetent the offense has been. You throw a pick six, and now all of a sudden you have 10 more points on the board by only moving the ball 29 yards. So special teams was big. The defense was big in the second half. One major mistake, though, by special teams was Naheem Hines fair catching a ball on the three-yard line. So we go kick return touchdown, interception, field goal, have all the momentum, force a punt, and Naheem Hines fair catches the ball on the three-yard line. That led to the safety. I don't want to sound like a Phillip Rivers apologist, but when you look at that safety, Phillip Rivers is low on my totem pole of people I blame. I go chronologically in the order of events. First, you have Naheem Hines fair catching a ball at the three-yard line. The chances of that ball landing inside the two, inside the one, are minuscule. You have to let that ball go. And if the ball does bounce straight up in the air and they down inside the two or the one, God bless them. I dare the ball to bounce straight up. Let it go. The chances are it goes into the end zone or it bounces back out and you get the ball at the 10-yard line, something like that. The chances of it staying within the three-yard line are very, very unlikely. So you have to let that ball go if you're Naheem Hines. That was a Chester Rogers, Chuck Pagano coach team mental error by Hines in the second half of this game. Let that go. Then you get the ball on the three-yard line, and Reich has Rivers dropping back, going deep on the three-yard line. 
terrible play call, putting your quarterback and putting your offensive line who struggled all day long in a position to fail. goes back to the theme of Reich coaching to the weakness of our players. You're going to have a Raven Clark protecting Phillip Rivers in the end zone, and it's not like it was third and 10 and we needed a first down. It was first and 10. Run the ball and create a little bit of space, a little bit of breathing room for the offense. So I go Hines, then I go Reich, then I go LaRaven Clark. And this offensive line, you have to hold the protection a little bit longer. And then fourth, I go with Phillip Rivers. As a veteran quarterback, you have to be smarter than that. You can't throw it away. Yes, you could argue it's in between a couple of Colts. But the reason I don't really blame Rivers for it that much is because what was the outcome? No matter what, there was no good outcome because of the position we were put in by the fair catch, by the play call, and by the pressure put on by the pass rush of the Cleveland Browns. You're put in a position to fail. You're either going to get sacked. If you try to run, you will get tackled behind the line of scrimmage, and you will most likely get tackled in the end zone, and it will be a safety. So almost every outcome is a safety. You either try to run, you're going to get a safety. You get sacked, you're going to get a safety. You make a boneheaded throw over the middle, it's probably going to get picked. So I thought that Phillip Rivers actually did the right thing there because there was a chance they wouldn't call intentional grounding. Unfortunately, they do. It goes from a seven-point game to a nine-point game, and with this Colts offense playing the way they're playing, a nine-point game feels like in a million-point game. So I thought special teams was great because the Rodgers kickoff return was huge. It got the Colts right back into the game. But then on the same token, Naheem Hines fair catching that ball inside the three-yard line kind of took the Colts out of the game. It took the wind out of our sails when we had all the momentum. Kick return, touchdown, boom. Pick, boom. Field goal, boom. Punt, boom. So we have all this momentum and then it gets taken right out from under us. The rug gets pulled out right out from under us on that safety. It turned the game back around, gave the momentum to the Browns, and it was like that final hurdle we couldn't get over, trailing by two possessions. Yeah, to me, that sequence was the game. I mean, listen, you can't fair catch a ball at the three. Like you said, if they down it inside, if they down it, if it bounces straight up and they down it at the three or the two or the one, then God bless them, it's their day. But the, what's probably going to happen is it's going to go in the end zone and you start at the 25 or it bounces the other direction and you get it at like the 10. Either way, that's better than the three. And then we go back to Reich and what we talked about earlier in the show about not putting players in the best position to succeed. So you're on the three-yard line and you're going to run deep pass plays with not, without max protection from the three-yard line? That's asinine when, you're, when your tackles – and this is late in the game – when your tackles have been getting annihilated all game long. That is a moronic play call. So, yeah, I completely agree, Luke. On the scale of whose fault this was, I put three people or, or at least three groups in front of Phillip Rivers. I mean, you've got Naeem Hines, who never should have fair caught the ball. You've got Frank Reich, who calls one of the dumbest play calls. I mean, hand it off and get some friggin' yards. Even if it's two yards, that's a lot when you're at the three-yard line. You get to the five. You can do a little bit more, but he throw. You know, we we run deep patterns without max protection, and you get into the third place of blame. The god awful offensive line got beat like a drum again, and left Rivers really no choice but to try to throw it down the field, where one it doesn't get intercepted, and two it's at least somewhere near a Colt. Unfortunately for him. He threw it about equal distance between two Colts, and they called it intentional grounding. So, yes, it was not a great play by Rivers, but he didn't have much of a choice. And the sad thing is the, the, the special teams was incredible other than that play. It kept us in the game. 
Blankenship made everything. Mm -hmm. uh, Isaiah Rogers with an incredible friggin' return. He's unbelievable in the return game. Such a difference maker. Every time he returns the ball, he gets it past the 25. Elite speed. Just a great game by our special teams other than that one play. But unfortunately, that one play started a sequence of plays that pretty much cost us this game. Yeah, momentum's a weird thing because you can't put it in analytics. You can't put it in statistics. You can't see it, but you could feel momentum and the shift of momentum. And safeties are some of the biggest momentum swinging plays you will see because it's points, it's change of possession, and you're punting the ball back to them so they get good field position. So they get points, they get possession, and usually they get pretty good field positioning off the punt after a safety. And now the Colts have seen three safeties in five weeks, which is rare. Two in our favor that I loved, and then this one, which I hated. But you go back to the Viking game, this safety was very reminiscent of the Viking game. It was anybody's game at that point. Rigoberto Sanchez has a great punt. Luke Rhodes makes a fantastic play, downing it inside the one-yard line. And then DeForest Buckner gets to push the pressure up the middle, and we get the sack safety on Kirk Cousins. And that really flipped the game. The Colts get the ball back. We score a touchdown, nine-point swing. Very reminiscent of what happened yesterday, later in the game, and against the Colts rather than in the Colts' favor like in the Vikings game. But now three safeties in five games we've seen for the Colts, which is very rare to see in such a shortened season up until this point, just five weeks in. And we're not going to do player of the game, Jason. I think it's obvious. We'll both pick Miles Garrett. He was phenomenal. He wrecked this game. He destroyed this game as we expected with LaRaven Clark playing for Anthony Costanzo. So let's just get into our final thoughts. Let's wrap this thing up. Final thoughts on the 32-23 loss to the Cleveland Browns in Week 5. Yeah, it's a tough loss, man. I, I thought this was a huge game. And I, I really thought, like, a, for, as far as a measuring stick went for the defense, I, I thought that they – they handled themselves well. I mean, I really feel like uh, they struggled in the first half. Things didn't go their way. They could have very easily got frustrated and, you know, whatever. But they didn't. They they, they adjusted. Flus did a great job. Uh, I, I think this defense is legit. People are going to probably listen to this and be like, how can you say that? They gave up, you know, 23 points or whatever. Because I, I just think when Blackman's out there and they're playing with the, with their full deck, they're, they're, they're as good as anybody, in my opinion. And when we rush uh, and we blitz and mix things up, we're, we're a really, really uh, dynamic defense. And I think our offensive coaches have to realize that and start playing to that defense. I, I don't think they're doing it enough. And this next week is, is, is huge for this team for a couple of reasons. One, we haven't been able to run the ball well. Cincinnati is the worst run defense in the NFL. The Colts have to bury this team. They have to come out and run the ball down their throat and demolish this team. Uh, 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 there's no reason not to. Burrow's a good quarterback, but their offensive line sucks. Our defensive line is far superior. We should be able to pressure them. As far as this game today, disappointing. I know Colts Nation is frustrated as hell as I am. I'm disappointed in Reich. I'm disappointed in the way we played offensively. But all you can do is look to the next game. That game's over. There's nothing we can do about it. They need to come out focused, ready to play this week, and put on a dominating performance going into the bye week and leave us with a good taste in our mouth going into that bye week 4-2. and two. 
Yep, and then we got the Lions coming out of the bye week. So the next two games over the next three weeks are very winnable for the Colts. A 5-2 and two start, just like last year, is very, very doable. You have to go out next week, and you have to not only beat, but bury the Cincinnati Bengals. Great young quarterback in Joe Burrow. Not a good team. Not a good offensive line. Rushing four next week. Should put plenty of pressure on the quarterback. Should be able to get after Joe Burrow. Should be able to sack him, create turnovers. So next week is a big game for the Colts because we have a gauntlet in the second half of the season. There's a lot of tough games and a lot of division games in the second half. So I think it's vital to win the next two games over the next three weeks. You got to come out next week and beat and bury the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll be back on Friday with our game preview Colts Bengals week six big game for the Colts not a great opponent but a game you have to win to improve to four and two on the season you go into the bye you come out and hopefully we could figure it out offensively maybe coming out of the bye Ray could shake things up offensively and we could start to get this offense rolling the way we believe it could be even with the limitations at quarterback with Philip Rivers. We'll be back on Friday. That's my man, Jason Spears. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, and this is the For the Culture Podcast.